0: Coming up on today's episode of the Locked On Bucks podcast, we do a mock draft Monday on a Tuesday.
1: You are Locked On Buccaneers, your daily Tampa Bay Buccaneers podcast part of the Locked On Podcast
0: Network, your team every day. What's up and welcome back to the Locked On Bucks Podcast. I'm James Yarko, joined as always by David Harrison. You can find everything that we're doing over at BucksNation.com, and make sure you follow along on Twitter at LockedOnBucks, at JayYarko underscore Bucks, at DH82 underscore Bucks, and at Bucks underscore Nation. It is great to be back with all of you. Once again, but most especially, David. It's great to be back on uh, on the show with you, talking Bucks football.
1: Yeah, it's great, great to have you back. Happy to have lifted the suspension and allowed you back on the air.
0: Yeah, yeah, there we go. That's all right. You can you can suspend me again for a few more weeks if you want to. No, I'm good. Okay, it's time for you to earn your your cap hit. Fair enough. That's all right. Only about let's see, we we're, we're in we're in my, only about six more months until hockey season starts again. Is it going that poorly for the lightning? no no not the lightning the dayton stealth
1: oh you're talking about your kids yeah 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 so tell tell the good people how your trip went uh it,
0: it was it was so much fun and it was such a cool experience to share that with him as far as the hockey is concerned um they did not do that hockey we got up there uh we left really really early in the morning uh we left about uh quarter to five and uh got up there and went straight to an arena for their first game lost eight to one it was not pretty it was it was a bloodbath from the word go um then they had some time to kill we drove up to michigan for their second game and it was, it was a tight game there for a while. Beckett had a, the goal to put the team up three to two. And then one of our kids got a five-minute major. And for those of you that don't follow hockey, a five-minute major means, you know, the kid goes in the penalty box. But unlike regular penalties, when the team on the power play scores and the penalty is over, the kid has to sit for the full five minutes no matter how many times the other team scores. So he goes in the box for five minutes. They end up scoring four goals in that span, three of them in 30 seconds, and they went on to lose eight to three. Yikes. Yeah. So the next morning is when we finally got to play at Notre Dame. And seeing these nine and 10-year-old kids on an Olympic-size hockey rink was hilarious. Yeah, I I saw the picture that you put up. Yeah, they were like little ants. Um, But because of the way the rest of the teams in their grouping had done, all we needed to do was tie or win, and they got to move on to the semifinals. And there was less than three minutes left in the third period. They were down 2-1, to and Beckett scored the game-tying goal to send them to the semifinals. So that was a really, really cool moment. Unfortunately, in the semifinals, they lost 4-3 to in a shootout. And I have never seen a collection of nine and ten year old kids sobbing so uncontrollably, uh, you know, in one confined area because it's such a heartbreaking way to to go out. Because not only did they lose, but they lost to another stealth team that was mm. up there, and it was a team they practice against every Friday. They played this team three times during the league season and never lost to them. So for their first loss to come in that fashion. Was just gut wrenching, and these kids were taking it seriously. There were this this stealth team um, was in the same hotel as us, and these kids were legit fighting in the hallway over this game. Like it became uh, a heated thing between these kids. They they were not giving in to to anyone. Um, so you know it it was it was unfortunate that they didn't come away with a win, but. You know, it was it was so much fun. And going to see Notre Dame, Beckett came home a Notre Dame fan. He's, he's all in. Um, so, yeah, the poor kid is just going to be filled with a lifetime of misery being an Illinois and a Notre Dame fan, which he justified to me by saying, I can be a fan of both because Illinois doesn't have a hockey team. And I said, that is sound logic. I cannot argue. Yeah,
1: and when he wins the NCAA version of the Stanley Cup with, with Notre Dame sometime in the near future then uh it'll be all worth it.
0: Yeah, cuz Notre Dame in in hockey is part of the Big 10. Yeah. So, I don't know if they're very good, but I do know that. They typically are. Uh this season was not a good season for Notre Dame, but they're usually one of the one of the better college hockey teams. So, um you know, it was it was a lot of fun. He got, you know, he came home with a ton of Notre Dame hockey gear and they're sponsored by Under Armour. So everything in the shops is Under Armour. And um, yeah, it was just, it was, it was a lot of fun. I was, I was really, really proud of him. You know, I talked to him, you know, I was trying to console him after the game. And then I start tearing up telling him about how great he did and how much he improved and how proud I was and all the time and the money that got poured into this was it was worth every minute. It was so much it was so much fun to watch him grow, not only as a hockey player, but honestly, just as a person. Um, So he'll get he'll get a little bit of time off and then he'll head to Miami University for summer camp and then back at it again in uh, in September for for his second season.
1: Very nice. Sounds like an overall (laughs) successful trip.
0: Yes. Yet the only unsuccessful part. And I have to address this because it was brought up on yesterday's show. (laughs) So the plan was on the way to Notre Dame to stop at Wendy's and get a breakfast Baconator. That did not happen because when you drive from Southern Ohio up to Northern Indiana, and I'm not sure if too many people know where Notre Dame's campus is located, when we drove to Michigan for the game, we drove for less than 10 minutes and we were crossing the border to Michigan. So it is all the way up at the top, whereas I am almost all the way at the bottom of Ohio. There's a lot of nothing between me and South Bend, Indiana. Um, Very thankful that I at no point needed gas on that drive because we would go for 20 25 miles before we came across a gas station so there were no wendy's to be had on the drive up there so we get to the hotel right next door to the hotel is a wendy's i'm like sweet we can go get wendy's breakfast tomorrow after the game and uh that didn't work out we had we had to make a couple stops by time we got back to the hotel uh breakfast time was over all right However, did find out that one of the other parents had stopped to get the Wendy's breakfast there, said it was the worst Wendy's they had ever been to. So I'm kind of glad we didn't go. Uh, But I found that out after the fact, because then the plan was, okay. well, we'll get up Sunday morning and we'll go to Wendy's for breakfast. Well, some of us forgot to change the clock in the hotel room when the time changed. So I woke up at what I thought was like 940 ish. No, no, that was 1040 and breakfast was over. So I still have not had the opportunity to have my breakfast baconator, but Dr. Pepper cream soda is delicious. That's, that's all I got for you. So you did, you did give that a shot. I've had so many Dr. Pepper cream sodas. It's so good.
1: And is it just cream soda with a Dr. Pepper label or is it
0: like Dr. Pepper flavored cream soda? It's like it, it when you're drinking it, it tastes just like regular cream soda. But then you get a little bit of that Dr. P- Dr. Pepper flavor towards the end. Um, So there you can definitely tell there's Dr. Pepper influence, but the over the overall taste is is very much cream soda. I don't think you will like it uh, just because you don't like Dr. Pepper. hmm. But if, if people out there like Dr. Pepper and they like cream soda, they will love this stuff.
1: All right. I will give it a shot, unlike Wendy's Breakfast, which will probably never enter my plans in any way, shape, or form. You never know.
0: I suppose it's true. But we should probably talk football. We should. We should. Uh, real quick, shout out to Derek and Chris. Great job on yesterday's episode. Um uh, I will say you were right, David. I do agree with Chris. Uh, I do not like Seinfeld overrated. In my opinion, I see people making fun of the show friends and about how, how much it did not age. Well, uh, I think Seinfeld's even worse. It did not age. Well, I've tried to watch it as an adult. Um, yeah, just not, not my cup of tea. However, Chris, I was disappointed to hear how much you love Stanley Kubrick because he is the worst director. Uh, ever sure. oh i can't stand stanley kubrick stanley cannot Kubrick's stanley.
1: version of star wars would probably be
0: amazing S- no it wouldn't no not at all he <laughs> he ruined the shining what, uh, <laughs> what? <laughs> oh the shining is a terrible movie jack nicholson okay he is mm-hmm. phenomenal the movie mm-hmm. itself butchered absolutely destroyed you mean like compared to the book how good that book was well uh, Stephen King is one of the
1: driest writers in history though so I mean given given the material he had to work with I think he
0: did pretty well no because that book is incredible the movie is trash the made-for-tv version with uh Tim Daly the dude from wings yeah yeah I I liked that actually that followed the book a lot closer and it was a better movie I did I like both movies so
1: I like the made-for-tv version I like the original movie uh I had never read the book. I hate Stephen King's writing, so I won't read Stephen King novels, Uh, but
0: um, the first 20 minutes of full metal jacket, incredible. The rest of the movie, terrible. I put Kubrick in. Yeah, that is kind of up and down. No yeah. way, man. Yeah, but, Kubrick oh, man. and Tarantino are the two most overrated movie. Tarantino, makers yes, ever, but not Kubrick. Uh, yes, Kubrick's terrible. Full Metal Jacket definitely has its up and down moments, you know. Um, but and that's overall, all thanks to Arlie Ermy.
1: It's pretty solid. No, I mean, there's some good parts even after that. I think you know, I think it's overall a pretty solid movie. But but yeah, there's definitely some up and down moments to it. Um, I want to get back to this Friends and Seinfeld thing. So what is this deal about them aging poorly? What does that mean?
0: Yeah, like. um you know people that that didn't grow up with the shows you know, have mm-hmm. tried to go back like we'll take bailey for example bailey is the perfect example because of the age gap between like you and me and bailey mm-hmm. bailey didn't grow up with seinfeld and friends and all that so when when people his age have tried to go back and watch friends that's constantly acclaimed as like one of the greatest shows ever it it does not age well you know the the references the um you know just kind of the day-to-day life that doesn't compute with a younger generation because it's not something that they ever really knew it doesn't it it didn't age well um that's pretty much true of every show from every generation sure it, it can be um you know i go i still watch the office all the time and i go back to You know, they have flip phones and there's a there's an episode where Dwight is texting uh, Joe Bennett and she screams at him. She goes, these are costing me 10 cents a piece. I'm roaming like kids don't know about paying per text messages or roaming like especially not my kids. Right. So, yeah, I mean, friends overall, I still enjoy it because that was, you know, I grew up with that. But Seinfeld, I just to me, it's just kind of. Pointless and dumb. It just it wasn't my thing.
1: Yeah, it's a show. So i that's why I asked you the question because I didn't know if you meant people complained about like the the time gap between the shows because that's I don't again I think like if you're if you're in the military shows and you watch Mash, It's, right. it's not reflective oh, great of the current day military, but it's you know what I mean it's it's it brings you what it brings you and there's going to be references in there that you know uh, the the people don't understand or whatever uh, so on and so forth, but. I thought you meant like as the show went on, because I know like a lot of people were disappointed about the way that Seinfeld ended. I don't know about friends and how it ended or people were Mm -hmm. disappointed by it. But I mean, when you talk about a sitcom, you really only have like two, two or three real options on how to end it. It's either got to end in like a successful path, taking you away from the the cameras essentially, or death. I mean, really like, so I was, so I, if it was if the commentary was about how they ended, I was gonna basically, I don't know how how people would have wanted them to end. But, um, yeah, as far as agent, I don't know. I mean, but Seinfeld is, it's a show about nothing. it's It's absolutely worthless. And essentially, if you can't connect in some way, shape or form with the characters, then you you have no reason to watch. So because there's really no main storyline to follow. I know each season kind of has like their you know, love interest or something that they kind of work into the season script or whatever. But really, at the end of the day, it's it's not one of those where you're interested in the stories as, as much as you're interested in the characters. Uh, yeah, so I could see I could see that. I guess. All
0: right. Well, yeah. Let's go ahead and get over to some football. Um, if anybody, if anybody is still listening after my my story about Notre Dame and Baconators, um, yeah, let's. Let, let's talk about mock drafts because it's mm-hmm. a mock draft Monday on a Tuesday. Uh, People of the world.
1: So it still counts.
0: That's true. People of the world spice up your life. Uh, shout out, Derek. Um, <laughs> I love it. love it. So Kyle Krabs of the draft network released a mock draft and he's got, he's got three rounds for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And David, we talked about it last week. And we've, we've talked about it before in the past, how it tends to, as we get closer to the draft, the, the telegraphing of the Buccaneers first round pick has become a real thing Mm -hmm. where we start to see all these mock drafts talking about the same guy over and over and over and over. I realize that's a little harder to do when you're outside the top 10, but Last week, the, the main guy we were talking about was Georgia offensive tackle Andrew Thomas. Since then, he's the name that is continuously linked to the Bucs over and over and over. And it's no different here with Kyle Krabs of the Draft Network, where he has Andrew Thomas going in round one. Round two, another name that's been linked to the Bucks for a long time. I mean, way back... When the when the NFL playoffs were still going on, you know, we were hearing about Jacob Eason to the Buccaneers, which is who Kyle Krabs has them taking in round two. Then in round three, Arizona State running back Eno Benjamin. Mm-hmm. Interesting, interesting pick. And I will be completely transparent here. Until I read Krabs' mock draft, I had not heard of this guy. Yeah, you're not going to be the only one. I know you're an Arizona State guy. I am proud, proud graduate. So let's talk a little bit about Eno Benjamin. We've talked about Andrew Thomas. It looks like you know the Bucks are going to go that direction, whether it's Thomas or worse or Becton or whichever offensive tackle drops to 14. It just so happens in these mocks it's been Andrew Thomas, but it, you know that's the route they're going to go. We know they're going to address quarterback in one way, shape, or form. When free agency kicks off next week, whether that's bringing back Jameis or you know Brady Bridgewater Rivers, whoever take your pick, we've talked about it until we're blue in the face. But you know you you draft the offensive tackle to help solidify that line. You're replacing Demar Dotson, potentially uh, booting Donovan Smith out of his left tackle spot, uh, especially in the case if if they were to get Tom Brady, you know have a little more security on that blind side. Yeah, and then if that's the route they go, obviously that's how Eason keeps getting linked because you're gonna be you're only gonna get a couple of years out of one of these free agent quarterbacks unless the decision is Teddy. Uh in which case, you know, he's he's younger, he's twenty seven. Um so you're you're looking at solidifying the protection for your quarterback. You're looking at the future for your quarterback. And now you're getting into that area where you can address some of these other things. You know, The Bucs could use another running back. The Bucs could use a, uh, a wide receiver to probably replace Brashad Perryman, which, by the way, because of listening to your podcast with Evan on the drive to Notre Dame, Beckett is all in on Claypool. Not Very sure nice. if that's going to happen, but he's all in. It needs to happen it does need to happen but uh i'm guessing he's going to go before the bucks have an opportunity to draft a wide receiver um so now now we're getting into that that area where you're drafting depth you're drafting somebody who can get on the field but isn't going to have to be relied on the way an offensive tackle could or a defensive tackle could or a quarterback would you know, you're you're drafting a complimentary piece that could blossom or evolve into a big time contributor within the first couple of years, but there's no pressure there. So you take a look at a guy like Eno Benjamin, David. Go ahead and and tell people uh, what they could see out of out of Eno.
1: Well, I mean, he's he's your your quintessential third round draft pick. If you're talking about a running back, he's a guy who can can he come in in year one. And, and contribute and potentially make an impact in the offense? Yes, he can. Is he going to come in year one and blow everybody's socks off and become the starter and become one of the greatest running backs in the NFL as a rookie? Probably not, you know, but that's not why you're drafting him in the third round because there's a reason he's there in the third round, and the reason is he's not a finished product. Um, he's a guy who's got a lot a lot of raw athletic ability, a lot of athletic or ability just kind of as a ball carrier, and he, and he leaned on it a lot. At Arizona State, and he was able to make some really good plays. But just like pretty much every draft profile I think you find on him is going to say, if you ever go watch uh, an Arizona State game uh, with Eno Benjamin featured in it, you're going to see that he's also the kind of guy who can get a little uh, creative. And sometimes when he gets a little creative, it it makes really good plays happen. Uh, Sometimes it makes really sloppy plays happen, and it hurts his team. And you know, so he's just he's one of those running backs who is. Has made his way up until now, probably getting into the NFL. I don't think there's any doubt he's going to get into the NFL, but he's relied essentially on natural talent, instinct, and uh, basically kind of freestyling. Is really is is kind of the best way I can say it. You know, there's obviously a scheme within the game. There's a place he's supposed to run. You know, if he's supposed to hit this gap and he's going to that gap, and there's a linebacker in there that's not supposed to be there. He will sometimes just take the guy straight on. If he feels like he can take that guy straight on, even at you know shorter than 5,10 shorter than me, he will he will decide sometimes take that guy straight on. However, he will also at times decide that he's gonna you know backtrack five yards maybe and try to run around a guy or run around a couple guys and, and try to make something happen. Um, that's something that's gonna have to get polished in the NFL level. That's obviously mm-hmm. not something that running backs can get away with on a consistent enough basis in the National Football League to do it with any type of consistency. But the thing that he brings to the Buccaneers roster that they don't have right now or it hasn't uh, appeared anyway, you know, out of any of the the current players is his receiving ability. And, you know, he's not perfect. Like a lot of people, Christian McCaffrey, when he's coming out, a lot of people, including myself, kind of speculated this might be a guy who eventually someday moves out into the slot and plays a little bit of slot receiver. Eno's not that kind of guy, but he is a guy that can come out of the backfield when you put him back there. And I think this is what would resonate with Buccaneers fans the most. When you put him back there, as an opposing defense, this team could be running or passing. And I think that's huge for the, the recent history that, that we've seen in, in Buccaneers running backs where you just have these certain guys for some reason that when Charles Sims is back there, it's a passing play. It's not a running play. It's a passing play. And if it is a running play, all right, maybe they get three yards off of it. We'll be okay next time it's going to be a pass. Eno Benjamin's a guy that you can put in there and it's it could be a run. It could be a pass. Rojo. Started showing some flashes, man. And if he continues to build, if he continues to work, if he continues to get better, he'll become a runner. It could be a pass. It could be a run. And so now you have two guys. And I said it coming into 2019. James, you remember it. I was was just just desperate to see some two back sets. And we didn't see it near enough as, as much to satisfy me anyway for what it's worth. But if Eno can come in and do some of the things he can do, if Rojo can continue to get better – this could be a situation where we actually might see some of those two back sets uh, that we saw, you know, often enough to stand out anyway in Arizona under uh, Byron Leftwich and under Bruce Arians. So, so that's the kind of thing that he brings. And as a pass protector, he he's not you know the world's greatest pass blocker as a running back, but he's a guy who puts in the effort and he kind of reminds me a little bit of like Maurice Jones Drew because Maurice Jones Drew was obviously really short, compact, stocky dude. You know, Benjamin's not as short, not as stocky, but he is a little bit shorter but Maurice Jones-Drew always talks about the biggest thing that helped him stay on the field throughout his NFL career is he learned how to make his leverage point a weapon versus a weakness because and everybody always goes back to the Sean Merriman block you bring Sean Merriman running down the tube at a guy like Maurice Jones-Drew you assume that Merriman that, that uh that the linebacker is winning that competition 9 times out of 10 but what MJD did was turn his leverage point Learned, turned his size from a weakness to a strength and just absolutely blew him up. Um Eno Benjamin is, is the kind of guy that was proper coaching, proper technique could potentially become not MJD type levels. You know, nobody, nobody get crazy yet, but he's a guy that can definitely become a serviceable pass blocker already has serviceable skills as a pass receiver. As a runner, he's got the skills. He just needs the polish. And I mean, we're going to lean on it all, all, you know, all off season long, all draft season long. You're looking at it, at a coaching staff that is known for having how how to squeeze talent out of players, uh, even a little bit ahead of schedule. Maybe we saw the 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 great jump that Rojo made from year one to year two, from training camp to regular season, from early regular season to late season. So they can get that type of of growth out of a guy like you know, Benjamin, who by the way coming from Herm Edwards, so I mean it's not necessarily NFL quote unquote coaching. But Herm Edwards knows what it takes to be successful in the National Football League, and you better believe he's using some of those lessons and instilling them in the in, the, in his Sun Devils there uh, in Arizona State. So, yeah, man, I mean beyond just the you know alma mater connection, Eno Benjamin is a very solid running back, and if they wait to go to the end of day two to get one, Eno Benjamin would be a very good target.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and that's that's something that that Krabs had had touched on is the fact that he's a he's a complimentary receiving back. He had 82 receptions, and that could be a nice little wrinkle in Bruce Arian's system. Um, I don't, like I said, I don't really know much about him. I don't know if he's going to be the kind of of running back that's going to evolve into a, a three down guy. I don't know his his pass blocking ability. What concerns me if they get a guy like Benjamin when they already have a guy like Ronald Jones and they take a Benjamin over a Dobbins or over a Swift or over a uh Eclair, whatever it shout out Bailey, I don't know his name, I know it's something Hilaire, but the kid at LSU, you get it, Clyde Edwards Hilaire. Yeah, <laughs> I finally, finally remember it while we're recording, Clyde Chocolate Eclair. Got it. Um. Oh, that's right. Bailey told me just to call him Clyde. That's what it was. Anyway, um, those are guys that can be three down backs. They can be on the field in running situations, in passing situations. They can pick up a blitzer. They can break out and and catch a dump off and, and take it 15, 20, 30, 80 yards. They have that kind of ability. Now, if you get a guy like Benjamin, to compliment Ronald Jones. Are we entering a Charles Sims situation where the Bucks are going to end up telegraphing what kind of play they're going to be running based on the running back out there? That is not something I want to see happen again. I want one of these guys that can be in there in any situation. But again, I'm I'm saying this not having seen anything that Benjamin has done. So right. and that's he, and that's what I was just
1: saying a minute ago. Like Like he's not going to come in and set the world on fire as a runner, but in Arizona state, he showed the ability to not only be a pass catcher, but also be an effective runner as long as, because similar to Charles Sims, he will kind of dance sometimes when he meets contact early. So if they can clean some of that stuff up, then he definitely is the kind of guy that you can bring him in there on, you know, a second and eight or even a third and six. And the, the defense can't completely sell out for the pass any more than they already would just because of the personnel assignments.
0: All right. Well, David, any other mock drafts that kind of kind of stood out to you? Or uh, are we are we in a situation now where we're going to end up talking about Andrew Thomas as often as we're talking about the quarterback situation? Yeah, Andrew Thomas, I mean, is going
1: to be a hot topic unless this team goes out and signs Jack Conklin. And, And the problem with signing a guy like Jack Conklin, which which Chris and Derek and I talked about on yesterday's episode, is the fact that really. When you when you look at the landscape of the free agent picture, he it's Jack Conklin, and then it's a bunch of other guys that are available. Like Jack Conklin is the cream of the crop when talk when you when it comes to right tackles in the free agent class. So and I'm sure he knows it. I'm sure his agents know it. So they really are going to have their pick of many many places of of who they talk to and what offers they field. Um, I feel like the, with the Buccaneers, you know, I, I got that a lot of people are mocking you know a top four tackle or top four offensive lineman to the Bucks. Uh, to be available at pick fourteen, but I feel like if you're going to be thorough, you got to at least give Jack a call. You got to at least you know call him, yeah. see if he's interested in Tampa. If he is, what kind of price point are we looking at? The Buccaneers already have a ton of cap space, a ton of money dedicated to the offensive line, but the quarterback situation obviously is domino number one. Depending on how that domino falls, if the if the price point isn't so high, because if if you you know again it's 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 football economics, right? And Jason has already talked about they play the cap out about four years ahead of time. They kind of try to project some numbers and project some things and all that. But at the end of the day, the the business of the NFL is winning Super Bowls. It's not getting to the Super Bowl, getting to the playoffs. It's about winning Super Bowls because if you win a Super Bowl, you will make money. You, you, it doesn't you don't have to win a Super Bowl every year, but if you win a Super Bowl in this for the rest of that decade. So you know, so at at the end of the day, if if this team puts themselves in a situation where in 2022 2023 they may have a little bit of a cap situation, but in the process they win a Super Bowl in you know 2020 2021 something like that. That's a that's an acceptable situation. So when you when you look at the Buccaneers, especially if you're bringing in one of these quarterbacks that has a, a quote unquote question mark, which pretty much all of them do, bolstering your offensive line. In a way that you know is is going to bolster your offensive line is always going to be smarter than rolling the dice. See if you can bolster your offensive line because you know, like Jack Conklin is a is a known commodity. You know what he brings to the field. You know what he brings to the NFL field. You've seen what he can do. You see, you have pro tape. You have pro scouts who have looked at him, and you have your general manager who has an evaluation history. You have your head coach who's obviously waiting. So if the price point works, and I don't even know what dollar that would be for the bucks themselves, then when you if you if you pull the trigger on signing a guy like Jack Conklin, now you don't have to worry about the top four. You don't have to worry about one of those top four guys coming. But guess what? If a top four guy falls, it doesn't mean you can't draft him. You could certainly draft him. Um, I mean, I don't want to get too far into the what ifs, but I mean, if if we enter a situation where the Buccaneers sign Jack Conklin, they sign quarterback X, whoever that is, um, that they feel comfortable moving forward with. And then the draft comes and pick 14 comes and Andrew Thomas is still on the board. This team, depending on how their cap space looks based off a of free agency could very well eat. We've seen teams do it before. Eat all that dead money that Donovan Smith has draft. Andrew Thomas install him as your left tackle. Now with you have a rookie left guard center and right tackle, or you have experience at your left guard center, right tackle. you got Alex Kappel, who was very solid as a right guard. And now you've got a first round draft pick as your left tackle go ahead and you move a sixth round draft pick seventh round draft pick i don't know you're not getting much for him but you you go ahead and eat that dead cap now while you can afford it and next year that roster spot is open you've got a first round talent in there that's kind of how some of these things can matriculate if same thing though you could decide we're not going to eat that dead cap space it's a lot of dead money i got it. everybody calm down but they decide we're gonna we're gonna stick with Donovan because he didn't have a terrible year last year. We're gonna we're gonna keep with him. We have confidence in what we can build with him. We're gonna stick with him. But now at 14, you're not tied to a tackle. So if Andrew Thomas is still there, you could decide to trade back. And now you go get a team who wants one of those top four, but is typically considered outside the realm of getting one of those top four. You again collect some draft picks. Maybe you go back and you grab a Caleb on Chase on. I don't know. I'm just saying. Maybe I'm biased. Maybe I'm not but you have flexibility, right? The more the more answers that this team gets between now and April 23rd, the more flexible they become in Vegas. And everybody knows, that if you're in Vegas, you want flexibility. You don't want to be forced to play your hand too fast. You want the opportunity to pick and choose where you take your risk and where you don't. So I mean, what what better opportunity to do so than to to tie up some of these loose ends? Um yeah. So Just food for thought.
0: All right. Well, before we get out of here, David, I'll ask you this: Which situation would you rather the Bucks opt to explore? Would you rather they draft a Andrew Thomas and sign a Tom, a Teddy? You know, even bring back Jameis Winston. You know, whatever the case may be, a quarterback. So draft the the O tackle at fourteen and sign a free agent quarterback or would you rather they sign Conklin and draft a quarterback in the first round be it a Herbert or a Love or I don't think Tua is is going to slip that far but yeah you know, which which situation would you prefer for the bucks heading into 2020
1: uh, I mean if I have to pick between those two yes you do those are your options
0: I would probably
1: prefer the veteran quarterback with the rookie lineman versus a veteran lineman with a rookie quarterback. Uh agreed. That's probably what I would prefer if I had to choose. But again, I don't think the Bucks have to choose. I think they could have both. They could have or they could have a veteran quarterback, a veteran offensive lineman. And then again, if they want, if they love Andrew Thomas that much and they want to they want I mean they could keep Donovan and draft Andrew Thomas. I mean, we, we know this team is, is not, you know, exactly stacked with offensive line depth. And basically you tell Donovan, go in your spot. You know, it's it's drum line time. Go in your spot. You're going to win. You're going to keep it. Or you're going to lose it. And if you got Andrew Thomas going out there and he competes and he gets beat, then you've got the best left tackle on your roster starting. And you've got a really solid backup. Uh, if you need him. And is that a waste of a first round draft pick? I don't know. It's, if if Donovan Smith or whoever Andrew Thomas starts all 17, 16 games, you know, into the playoffs and starts every game and never misses a snap, and Andrew Thomas only gets in on special teams, you know, here and there, or the backup only gets in on special teams here and there, then yes, in 2021, you can look back on it and say maybe that was a wasted draft pick. But if starter, starting left tackle, you know, gets rolled up on in training camp and misses the entire season, then no, absolutely not. It's not a waste of draft. It's that's what I'm saying, man. That's where the you know the you talk about best player, you talk about team needs. It's a combination of the two. And if you got Andrew Thomas, Caleb on chase on, and I don't know, uh, Javon Kinlaw sitting there, and you've got Indomitian Sue, JPP, and Jack Conklin on your roster, well, which one becomes the, the position of priority? Which player is the best player available at a position of need now? That's you ask. You ask 12 Buccaneers fans, you're probably going to get three people giving you four different answers. So... But the bottom line is they come in that situation having the flexibility to make that decision versus sitting there and saying, we don't have a right tackle. Andrew Thomas, it is because if you get to pick 12 and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers don't have a right tackle and Andrew Thomas is the last of the big four, guess what? Every other team in the National Football League knows. You don't have flexibility. On. Yeah. Yeah. So now if you're you're I don't getting know, the Denver Broncos. on a trade. The Dallas Cowboys, who love building their offensive line through the draft, if you're the Miami Dolphins, who obviously need as many draft as many as many instant impact rookies as they can get, um, the Jacksonville Jaguars, who don't have money to spend, so drafting a left tackle is definitely a lot cheaper than signing a future left tackle. You know, you the, you go down the list. Now all of a sudden they're calling the Colts or they're calling the Raiders for that draft pick, and now you got Mike Mayock calling Jason Light at pick twelve saying, "Hey, dude, we got a team on the." F- about to pay us this I'm in front of you and grab your guy from Georgia how much more are you going to give us to prevent that from happening and now you got a Mitchell Trubisky situation going on where John Lynch is moving back one spot collecting draft picks and laughing all the way to the Super Bowl so again lack of flexibility puts you in a, in a precarious situation so the Buccaneers have the opportunity to answer questions on their roster in free agency I would prefer they do so but money is also finite yada 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 it's amazing. I love it. It's great. There's so many different avenues you can go down, and I'm so glad I don't actually have to do it and rely on a paycheck for it.
0: It's awesome. Yeah, we just get to criticize the people that do on a podcast. I would never criticize anybody. <laughs> we we can criticize people.
1: It's allowed. Yeah, I mean, I can. we, we can disagree with picks, definitely, most, most, most definitely, but honestly, if, if you're looking at Andrew Thomas, you're looking at Caleb on Chase, and you're looking at Javon Kinlaw, uh, you're looking at, you know, outside of a cornerback in the first round. Really? I mean, you really can't go wrong. As far as where I'm concerned. Like, if you draft a cornerback in the first round, that's pretty much the only spot where I'm going to look at your pick and be like, eh, probably wouldn't have gone that way. Kicker, but come on. Let's, let's be real. Let's be real. Punter. Any realistic first round pick at 14 earlier or later, Again, unless it's a corner. And honestly, if you trade back and take a corner, as long as it's like the second best corner in the class, be like, all right, I mean, I probably wouldn't have gone that direction, but I'll be happy with the the extra draft picks that you collected in the process.
0: Fair enough. All right, well, David, I think that's going to do it for this episode. You will finally get a much-needed day off tomorrow. Well, yes, tomorrow. Uh, Bailey will return. He and I are going to talk about football and the Buccaneers. I honestly don't know what we're going to talk about yet because here's the thing. Bailey and I could, could talk today about what we're going to talk about on tomorrow's episode. We can have it all planned out. And that's when the Bucks will announce what they're doing with the franchise tag. I don't know. Maybe we'll talk about the franchise tag just in general. Decisions will be made, but David will finally get to rest his vocal cords again. Thank you for covering for me while I was gone, but I am thrilled to be back talking to all of you, entertaining you, upsetting you, whatever the case may be. I appreciate each and every one of you. So please check out everything David and I are doing over at BucksNation.com. Give us a uh, a call. Leave us a voicemail, 813-444-5841. Follow along on Twitter at LockedOnBucks, at JayArco underscore Bucks, at DH82 underscore Bucks, and at Bucks underscore Nation. Hope you all have an absolutely outstanding day, and we thank you so much for joining us right here at Locked On Bucks.